The shadows of storm and night. The mysteries of life and light. From unearthly peculiarities, celestial and divine, to apparitions and transcendental signs. You're listening to To The Spirit Podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome to The Spirit. I'm Beck. And I'm Steph. Hey, Steph. Hey, Beck. I had an awesome interview with an animal intuitive. I've heard. I was really jealous about that. It was pretty cool. I had an experience that I left in the recording where right when I started the interview, my dogs started going crazy and they were racing up and down the hallway and going into the living room and barking and howling and then running back in like they knew I was on the phone with her. That's I know that's so amazing. That's awesome. It was validation. And then, of course, my cat jumps down out of his little pod and he starts rubbing on the microphone. So I felt like I was doing this balancing act. And normally, you know, they don't run in here. And no, it's not. It's once in a great while. If we have a group of people in the studio, they like to come in and say hi. But even that only happened once. Yeah. At one point, you're going to hear in the recording, my dog lets out a nice bark and... (laughs) She wanted to talk to her. I think she just wanted to talk to her. (laughs) I think it's really cool. It makes me really wonder with people that have that gift, if they send off that energy towards the animals or whatever, and they're just like hearing something almost like, you know how dogs can hear stuff that we can't hear, but I mean... They, I think they pick up on other things that we've kind of lost somehow that That's we true. should have. I think we should have all these gifts. Um, well, according to her, we do. I think that in a way that we, we should have them, you know, like we lost them somehow, that they're there. Yeah. But it's just that the way that human beings are, we're not in tune with everything that's going on, maybe for a reason. Would you want a sociopath to have all these gifts? And it would be like us. Yeah, You right? know what I'm saying? No. I think it's there's a reason why we lost them because we're we're so awful as a people that if we had these like if we could fly if imagine if someone like a dictator could all of a sudden levitate and fly wherever he wanted to <laughs> that would be scary. I don't know if you remember I was telling you a while back where I got a baby bird so I was trying to figure out what to do with it and someone told me oh contact this woman and she lives you know about twenty minutes from where I live and she reluctantly she didn't want it. And I understood why when I got there because she had literal animals all over her house. She had birds everywhere and she'd have like a little heating pad underneath them, these baby birds. She had possums. She had a hawk. She had She had everything. a little zoo. She basically had a zoo in her house and you could see the stress in her. Like this stressed her out. She even had to admit, she goes, they just fall into my yard. She was a, this hawk that she showed me literally fell into her yard and had a wounded wing. She goes, they know to come to me. She goes, I don't know. Either Why? that or her land is cursed. Yeah. And every animal that hits that barrier <laughs> just falls from the sky. <laughs> I never thought of that one, but uh, I don't know. She just seemed like she was very caring. She's had deer with broken whatever, you know, just hobbled up to her yard. You know, she all takes different care stuff. of them. She takes care of them. And you could see she's like, I've had enough of this. But at the same time, she knows she can do it somehow. But I'm like, there's certain people that are just... In tune with that, they might not even be aware of it, but they really are. And the animals know. I think that they know, yeah. Yeah. Well, without further ado. Today, my guest is an expert in animal intuitive and energy fields. She's trained over 100,000 clients in over 52 countries. She's been a speaker on both radio and television that resulted in her being published in a Hay House book in 2009. She's got a lot to share with our listeners about upcoming events, classes, and her new book. Please welcome Lynn McKenzie. Hi, thank you so much, Beck, for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. (laughs) So many people are interested in animal communication. Amongst the other things that you do, can we give your information out, like your website and how people can find you? Yes, absolutely. Um, My website is lynnmckenzie.com, and that's Lynn with two N's and McKenzie with an M-C. And so it's lynnmckenzie.com. And on that homepage, there's actually a free training button over to the right-hand side where people can get a free training. And then I have another webinar that people can also attend free and that is at animalenergycertification.com. So that's animalenergycertification.com. 
www.thrivingcreatives.com and they can register for a free webinar if they're interested. And that's where, you know, in that area, you can pretty much find most about me that you want to find. And would your book, let's actually talk about your book. Would your book be available there or on Amazon? My book will be available both places. It comes out in May of 2021. Okay. It's the first book that I've written. I was published in the Hay House book, but it wasn't my whole book. I was just a part of it. Um, but my own book is called Bark, Nay, Meow, <laughs> Awaken to the Transformative Wisdom of Your Companion Animal to Activate Your Soul's Highest Calling. It's oh, quite a mouthful. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's being published through Llewellyn Worldwide, but it will be on Amazon. It will be, you know, we will have it on my website, my Facebook page as well for my businesses, Animal Alchemy. And we will be, of course, promoting it there as well. So people will see it there if they join us. Usually I like to give a little background for my listeners of how you came into your abilities or when they all began. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. And I am a believer that everybody has divine gifts that they can awaken to. I mean, they look different for everybody. But the way things worked for me is I was always connected to animals. I came out of the womb loving animals. And I talk about this in my book. You know, when I was two, I ran up to a German shepherd that my mother didn't even know if it was friendly or not. And she was pregnant with my sister and she was practically having heart failure because she wanted to rescue me, but she was scared of the dog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or what the dog would do to me. And anyways, that all worked out fine. And I always... I was like obsessed with animals when I was younger, like really young. And my parents would never get us cats and dogs initially. And eventually, I think when I was in fourth grade, they got us a dog. And then I went horse crazy and all of that stuff. And I wanted to work with animals. And my parents kind of talked me out of it, I guess, sort of being a veterinarian. They didn't think that I would make a decent living working with animals. So, you know, you know how it is. They were more like go for a solid career. So anyhow, I ended up going a whole different route and then eventually moving into real estate, which I was I was really good at and successful at, um, especially when I left. I had been in it for 18 years. But in that time, I started realizing that although I was good at it and it was fulfilling to some extent, it was also not really my soul's mission. You know, so I started looking for another career. I found somebody who did career counseling and I went and talked to her and, you know, filled out all the assessment tests. I I was always looking for something different to do. Even in my 20s, I think I sort of really started getting more seriously into it in my 30s, later 30s, because I'd gotten into real estate around 25 or so, 25 years old, I think, or 26 maybe. So anyways, what happened was through this career counseling, the person I was working with was also a psychotherapist. And she had said, you know, I think you would really like to do this. So I decided to go through and get trained as a psychotherapist. I found a school. I was in Toronto at the time. I'm Canadian, living in Arizona. I found a school that had a spiritual psychotherapy training. So I took that training. And that particular training was very much focused on metaphysics and spirituality. And I mean, we had to take a whole bunch of training in other things. We learned all about chakras and channeling and psychometry. And I mean, you name it, we studied it, meditation, everything. And through that course, I became completely obsessed with energetics. So I started just literally taking every training I could get. I mean, I, you name it, crystal therapy, color therapy, everything I could think of. You know, I trained in something called body alignment technique. I trained in something called educational kinesiology and many, many, many other things, hundreds of things. Wow, that's amazing. My, my list was like probably 200 items long. And somewhere in one of my courses that I was taking called vortex alignment, which was a more advanced sort of body alignment technique training, I came upon someone who told me about animal communication. And honestly, I hadn't even heard of it before then. And what was funny is people who were clients of mine, like I had some practice psychotherapy clients, and my business wasn't really taking off as a psychotherapist working with people the way I had wanted it to, but they wanted me to work with their animals. And when I started doing that, my business took off like wildfire. And then I just kept building on it and taking more training and learning more things. And I started teaching and I think the first class I ever gave was in the early 90s, probably 92 or 93. 
it that's was, fascinating that you integrated. I like that you integrated therapy with the hundreds of classes that you've taken. So it's like you're very well rounded. I find it interesting yeah. as well that it wasn't something that you were like, well, I was just born with that. This is something that you developed and you were able to come into it. It sounds like you. Yeah, I believe we're all born with a spark for our soul's divine mission or the highest expression of our soul. I feel like we're all born with a spark within us for whatever that is. Right. And I do believe that if anybody's interested in this work, that's been my specialty is helping others to awaken to their gifts. And that's really where my focus has been for many, many years now, you know, and I mostly focus on training and writing and creating programs and that sort of thing. But I believe that whatever is you're passionate about is is a clue to your mission, you know, your soul's divine mission and what you're here for. But I'm not one of those people who believes that only certain people are gifted. I really don't. And I think that the people who talk that way, like I, have, I sometimes have people on Facebook commenting on my ads or whatever and saying, that isn't something you could teach people. It's something you have to be born with. And it's like everybody's born with some version of it. Yeah. And I can help people awaken to that version. And anyone who tells you that they're gifted and you can't be is really, it's more of a self-serving thing for that psychic or, you know, wanting people to rely on them and not empower the people to do for themselves, which is my big goal. I think everybody has their little niche or each have our own abilities and talents. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Give someone a fish and they can eat for a day. Teach someone how to fish and they can eat for life. You know, sorry, vegans, but, (laughs) but, you know, it's an expression. So I don't like it. In the past, I've noticed that there was a couple of clients here and there that wanted to be completely dependent on me and give all their power to me and rely on me for everything. And number one. I have over 100,000 clients, so that's a big role to fill oh, and yeah. fulfill. I can't do that. And number two, it takes all their power away. My number one goal is all about empowerment. The work I do is as much about the people or even more about the people than it is about the animals, even though it's 100% based in animals. Right. That's why the subtitle of my book is really the part I chose, and I wished it wasn't quite so wordy, but I really do believe that in awakening to the wisdom of the animals, we do step into our soul's highest calling. I really, truly believe that. And that's what our animals are with us for. I know that you had mentioned that you had a draw to horses. And I'm wondering, why are children with disabilities, such as autism, paired with horses, as opposed to maybe like a dog? Well, my instinct tells me that horses recognize souls, they recognize us in our purest forms. They see us exactly for who we are. Animals, as a rule, do that. But horses have a special kind of way of making us be very authentic. And horses understand children versus adults, even though they're huge animals. And many people may not think this, they really are very nurturing for people, people who are in pain. I'm thinking not so much as children with autism in this particular case, but people who are, you know, maybe have had some severe loss in their life or a war vet, but they can feel what's going on within that person. And they just have this. And I talk about this in my book. My book is actually divided up into six sections. And in each section, there's three or four chapters. And each of those chapters is a story along with a lesson and an exercise and kind of the wisdom. So I do have a story where I talk a lot about this in my book. The sections are called Animal Companion as Teacher, Partner, Healer, Guide, Catalyst, and Bridge. So Animal Companion as Teacher, Animal Companion as as healer, animal companion, as partner, animal companion, you know, you get the you get the idea. So I talk about this in there. What horses do is they have a way of sort of knowing the woundedness within us or the pain within us. And I mean, not that somebody who has autism is wounded, but there is often something that is stopping them from maybe communicating in some cases. I'm no expert on autism by any means. So if I'm offending anybody, I apologize. But the horses can hone right in on where the issues and blockages are and help us to unblock them. And I mean, even if a child was standing beside a horse, a horse can literally go over their body with their nose and you know already start moving energy, changing energy. And for some reason, there's something about horses that brings the 
It's the magic. I call it the alchemy. <laughs> it's funny that you asked me this question because I have a program called Horse Spirit Alchemy that I started developing years and years ago and then put to the side and I was looking for something last night late in my computer and I came across it and I was like, I'm going to bring this out now. But it's like there's a magic, there's a resonance and there's children who have never spoken before, maybe not because of autism, but maybe perhaps because they witnessed some horrific, you know, had some horrific abuse or witnessed a horrific accident or whatever, young children, and they'll talk to the horses. And the horses know how to be with them in a way other humans might be like, you know, maybe in their family, their family is maybe so concerned about them not talking and wanting them to talk and have an a normal life and normal relationships with people or what is perceived to be normal by regular society. And there's sometimes like a energy about that, that the child feels, you know, and the horse doesn't have that energy. You know, horses don't care if your thighs are fat. They don't care if you're, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever <laughs> it is. If you have your makeup on and your hair done nicely or none of that means anything to a horse, you know. So they're able to see you for exactly who you are. But they have an energy, like when you're in the presence of a horse, you're basically within their heart chakra. And so you're in that energy of that heart chakra. You know, that heart chakra spans a large area and their heart is right on the, you know, the heart chakra sort of spot is at the front of their chest. So when you're riding them, you're right in their heart chakra. When you're standing leading them or, you know, talking to them. Most people are talking to the face, not the butt, right. <laughs> you know, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. And you're in their heart chakra and there's just a magic that happens that it isn't even describable to somebody who's never been around a horse and had that experience. But it's really magical. And they are so much healers. And they're all of those things I said, partners, healers, teachers, guides, catalysts and bridges for us, and just depending on where we're at and with whatever subject is top of mind for us at the moment. Now, would you say that as far as you found, maybe that horses are the most intelligent animal you've communicated with? Um, you know, I don't generally rank animals in terms of their intelligence. And I mean, I think as far as science goes, they say they're not mostly because if they were that intelligent, they probably wouldn't let humans control them. Right. I don't, I think, but, but in my world, it's got a lot more to do with intelligence. But if you look at what science would say, for example, they would say, you know, dogs are much smarter than horses. And, you know, they can even say by breed, which breed is the most intelligent based on scientific testing. Right. So I think horses are emotionally intelligent and I'm not going to say there aren't dogs and cats that can be as, you know, probably dogs more than cats. Right. <laughs> no, offense. no offense to cat lovers, but cats don't always. I mean, and there's there's exceptions to every rule. But, and you know, I shouldn't even say this. Cats are a little bit more independent and more into their own thing than the, the thing of the other. Whereas the dogs and horses tend to be a little bit more into the thing of the other. But that's a real generalization. There are people who have amazing cat masters who would very much beg to differ with me. But I think if I had to say what horses have is it's like an emotional intelligence, just a natural way to read vibrational frequencies and, and help to shift things for those who could use it. And there's nothing that compares to a horse, but just like there's nothing that compares to a dog or a cat, they're just different. And there's something about horses for certain situations that, you know, you can't beat them if you want to help somebody. Yeah. That's that's my opinion. When you communicate with the animals, do you notice if their communication is more of like a basic language, for example, maybe speaking childlike? And I guess also, are you hearing them auditorily or is it more of a mental picture or telepathy? It's so many different things. That's what's really cool about this. And that's why I am such a proponent that everyone can learn this in their own version of it. So the way it works is I don't hear it auditorily the way you and I are speaking right now, but I can hear it just that way inside my head, like as if we were speaking out loud, but they're doing it. And it's, I'm hearing it inside my head, more like if you were talking to yourself. If you were saying, you know, don't forget to pick up some toilet paper on the way home, I'm just 
joking about that because <laughs> Arizona had the lowest number of toilet paper available. Oh, man. <laughs> and we just went through a big shortage again. That was a joke. So here's what I like to say about animal communication. I have a thing that I call the three pathways to communicating with animals. And I believe, and you know, there's actually a few more, but I kind of grouped them into three. And I believe that some people are more energetically inclined and some people are more telepathically inclined, which is how the words are in your head. And it can be also pictures. And then some are more psychically inclined. And I group a few different channels into those three channels. And when I have students come to me for training, I actually tune into them and determine for them which would be their best sort of pathway into this work. Because some people take training and, and don't really get very far with it, you know, or can't seem to get their breakthrough. And I, so I feel there's a three different sort of pathways. And then we've got like our clears. So everybody has their own sort of unique pathway into this work. And then we also have the four clears, which are clear audience, which means clear hearing, clairvoyance, which is clear seeing, clear cognizance, which is clear knowing, and clear sentience, which is clear feeling. So those things kind of combine together in a certain way to help break the ice, so to speak. So when I first started, I was kind of already in touch with psychic intuitive abilities at a younger age, mostly because my mother was sort of into it. And I had an experience when I was 12. I was in Toronto and my grandfather in Ireland. I'm first generation Canadian born to Irish and Danish parents. And my grandfather was in Ireland and he passed away. And I was in the basement of our house in Toronto at 12. And I had just finished practicing the piano, which I begged my parents to let me take lessons in and I hated it um, but my sister was ta- my younger sister was taking them and I thought okay I need to take this too even though I hated it so I was down there I had just finished practicing and I stood up and my grandfather literally came to me put his two hands on my shoulders and kissed me on the forehead and said goodbye and left and like I, I went upstairs and told my mother thinking she's going to tell me I you know lost I flipped my lid. I've lost it. I've lost the plot, you know? And she was like, oh, well, that happened to me when I was in Belfast and we were with the Wrens and they were in this old house and she had an experience with a spirit. And so she didn't poo-poo it. You know what I mean? She kind of nurtured it. And, you know, she used to go to psychics when I was a teenager. And then I started going to some of them. And our whole family did a training when I was 20 or 21. And it was the Silva Method which you may or may not have heard of. I have heard of it, yes. Yeah, it's quite renowned around the world, maybe not as much now as it was back then, but we did that. And that's all about using sort of your extrasensory perceptions and different things like that, amongst other things. The power of your mind and, you know, opening your mind and believing a bit more in things and that kind of thing. So I've sort of been on that role a long time when I went and did all this. And I had been going to healers and different things like that and getting interested in that. And then I did my psychotherapy training, which was like really amazing for me because it opened so many things for me that I resonated with so well. So I've skipped a whole huge piece that's in my book, but my dog Jigs is really my golden retriever Jigs, who I who came to me in the early nineties, is the one who got me into all of this. And there's a whole story about that. There's a whole chapter on Jigs in my book. And my Andalusian stallion guide Lucero, those are two huge players in in my work. But just to kind of give you an idea I used to feel things a lot. So I was very clairsentient. And then even in my like later 20s, I started to really have claircognizance in a very, very big way. And claircognizance is a is a funny one. Hopefully my dog doesn't hear that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. If she hears it, she might start. And she's sitting on my knee sleeping. Hopefully she ignored it. And I have AirPods in my ears, so okay. she sometimes can hear them. So claircognizance is kind of a tricky one for people sometimes when they're new at this, because it's like knowing very clearly, you know it without knowing how you know. It's one thing if you hear something or you see something or you feel something, but when you just know it, it's almost like, well, you, you just feel like you already knew it from before. It's just like, you know what your name is. You know what the name of all your relatives are and where you went to school and all that stuff. Well, it just kind of infiltrates your consciousness and you know it. So I was really big on those two. And actually, a little sidebar on that claircognizance is 
I was selling real estate uh, now we're north of Toronto and um, there was a really very popular and heinous murder of a little girl who was about seven or seven years old. I think she was seven or eight. Mm. I knew this without a doubt. They arrested the next door neighbor. It was, it's so famous. His name was Guy Paul Moran. And he was a young man. He was the next door neighbor. And he got arrested with a really poor, it was a tiny little hamlet where they lived. And not really good police work. They never, I mean, their biggest crime was probably someone getting a speeding ticket, you know, Mm. so they weren't used to investigating. Anyways, he was wrongly convicted. And then he somehow was let go. And then he was rearrested. They don't have the double jeopardy law, I guess, in Canada. He went through sheer hell for decades, I think like a couple of decades. And I knew with every fiber of my soul that he was innocent. And it was right around the area I was working and everybody was of course talking about it and thinking he was this scummy guy. I knew, I could not tell you how I knew, but I knew I was adamant about it. And you know, many, many years later he got exonerated and his life was probably fairly ruined anyhow, you know? And my friends just kept saying, well, how do you know? And I, and I, I kept saying, I don't know how I know, but I know. And I can, I'm sure of it. Like I know I'm right. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's certain things. So I knew that. So that's claircognizance. I didn't have so much of the clairaudience and the clairvoyance yet. But then as I started training more and taking my body alignment technique training, as I was working on people with the system, I started hearing words coming into my left ear. And it was like someone was just speaking into my left ear as I was working. And then that eventually advanced to clairvoyance where I would actually see things. But I wouldn't see them exactly the way you see them on the physical plane. It would be more like seeing them in my mind's eye, like, you know, sometimes on a movie screen or sometimes like a flash of a picture or a couple of pictures. But it's not always moving like a movie screen is or like the movie reel is. So the thing is, when I communicate with animals, that was a long way around. But I think it's important (laughs) for people to know because then they can kind of go, oh, yeah, I've had a few of those things. So what happened is when I started communicating with animals, Many animals will talk to me. I mean, when I first started, it's like they were talking to me, but it was being sent to me. And it wasn't the same as you and I talking, but it was more like it was being sent to me. And I received it as information from them. And I remember when I went to the training, it was out in a place called Stratford, Ontario, where we have we have like the Shakespeare Theater out there. And it's a real cute little town I guess it's a city but beautiful old Victorian homes and all kinds of really fun stuff to do out there and I had gone out there for this training and we were at a horse barn and I went out to speak to a horse and I just picked a horse I opened the stall door and I said a few things to her and she said a few things back to me and I was like okay that's enough like I I was scared it was going to end or something you know and I closed the door and I went on and tried to talk to somebody else and I remember at one point the teacher gave us some questions to ask the animals and sent us out and it was cold and I went I found this pony in this sort of hallway of the barn the pony had a tiny stall with only a half door there was like a tack box right beside it so I sat on the tack box with my piece of paper and the pony was I think it was a he it was a he his head was sticking out the door and I was chatting with him and I was asking him the questions and again after he answered a few it's like my my mind was trying to go away from it for some reason and I remember my mind wandering and me not really asking him more questions and him putting his nose on the paper and going back and forth in this curved sort of motion and actually to the point where his teeth made shiny like divots in the pad of paper and basically he was like lady get with the program you're here to talk to me you're not here to daydream like get with the program and I, <laughs> I, I you know what I kept that paper forever I probably still have it somewhere you know with his teeth grinding into it but what I want to say is sometimes they talk in pictures, sometimes they talk in words, sometimes they talk in feelings, in impressions, and in knowings. And, you know, different animals talk in different ways. Like I talked to my sister's elderly cat way back then. He's long passed over now, but his name was Whiskey. And he sounded like an Englishman in a top hat and a cane. I mean, he didn't sound anything (laughs) like how he behaved because he behaves kind of like a shaman. And he was a deep red cat and she was his fourth or fifth home. And 
there's a whole thing that Penelope Smith, the pioneer in the field, talks about the orange cat contingent. And orange cats are very different than others and tend to move around a lot and have a lot of homes. But whiskey talk like that, one of my most profound connections ever was clients of mine in Ontario had a dog that was only two years old and she was sick and she wasn't eating her food. And she was literally starving herself to death. However, she was guarding her food from the other dogs. They had quite a number of dogs, so they fed them in their crates just to make it fair, you know. And so instead of going in her crate eating, she would just guard the crate outside because when one of the other dogs finished eating, of course, it wanted to eat hers too, like a typical dog would. So they had had her at all kinds of specialists. And finally, they had her at the university hospital. And finally, they said, we're asking our animal intuitive. And they kind of rolled their eyes and went, good luck with that one. I did a session with that dog. I've had sessions with those people before with some of their other dogs, but never this dog. And within one second of tuning in with this dog, which I think of it as more of a process and getting into the zone to be ready for that for people who are new at this and wondering why they're not getting results. The first thing out of her mouth was she just went very in a meek, mild, quiet voice. It's my duodenum. And I think some people pronounce it duodenum, but I don't think in Canada they do. And I was in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And I just heard it's my duodenum. And I'm like, how could it be that specific? That's like one part in a couple million body parts that the dog could have told me and I kept thinking well what else like you tell me more and she just kept going it's my duodenum it's my duodenum it's my duodenum like lady hello are you there I'm I'm telling you what the problem is and I'm used to them maybe going it's my digestive system or it's my you know (laughs) this or my that or you know not something so specific and little and I didn't exactly know what a duodenum was I knew it was part of the digestive system somehow only because of my body alignment technique training, no other. That was my biggest anatomy training of all. And, you know, I would not say I'm well-versed in anatomy and physiology by any means. And I told them, and they went back to the university hospital. All they had to do was an endoscopy, and they wanted to delay it and try appetite stimulants first, you know, because why do an invasive procedure if you don't need to? And they didn't work. So the next week they went back, they had the endoscopy, And they got to the duodenum. She had, I guess they did maybe some kind of biopsy. I'm not sure exactly how all this works. But she had a bacteria in her duodenum that only humans get, not dogs. And believe it or not, they could start treating her as soon as they found out what her problem was. And weirdly enough, she had to eat a diet of kangaroo. I'm not sure why that was. But she got better. Wow. Like almost immediately. And they all kind of went, it's her duodenum. And they all looked up at, they, you know, when they were telling my clients, they're like, what's this girl's name and where does she live? And <laughs> does, she, does she teach this? Because they just thought, yeah, right. And rolled their eyes and like, yeah, right. Some psycho's telling you what's wrong with your dog or whatever. Your dog's telling some psycho what's wrong with her. <laughs> and meanwhile, the dog was right. I've had a lot of really remarkable situations like that. And I've had other voices come in, like they're the deepest, loudest, strongest voice you could ever imagine. And they don't always suit the animal. This this dog was a, a long-haired whippet, which was a new breed at the time. She had a meek and mild energy. I didn't even meet her in person. I did all this over a distance. Um, most of my clients I don't meet in person. And I sometimes find the results better when you're not in person with them because you're not dealing with the physical side of them. You're dealing with the spiritual side of them. But... I've had animals just completely make me know what they know or make me feel what they feel. I've had an animal like break out in song or almost like recite poetry that that the animal itself made up. Um, Wow. (laughs) You know, you know, it's really, it's really, really different and it can happen in so many different ways. So, I mean, that's what's so wonderful about it because most people can start to get a hang of some of the ways. And by opening one, like the, you know, the way it happened for me, one sort of one area opened and that was sort of a catalyst for the others to open as time went on. And I truly believe when people are dedicated enough to learning this, this is, I I say it's a path of mastery of the soul because it's, It's more about mastering yourself than it is anything else. We are the only ones we have to kind of overcome to get really great at this. Yeah, this is true. We have to overcome our belief systems and our, you know, whatever, whatever we put up for ourselves in the way, we have to kind of work through that. But it's, I think it's really quite amazing to me. It's an amazing process. It's like a 
personal transformation and a spiritual journey all wrapped into one that has you coming out the other side, being so different and being in tune with animals and all of life. actually covered one of my questions uh, in a way when I was going to ask if an animal, say, for example, like a squirrel that lives in a southern area of the United States, would they speak with a southern accent? Yeah, they can connect with you in the language you speak. Like I could go to Russia and speak to a squirrel in Russia and that squirrel could communicate with me my way, but it could also communicate with people in Russia their way. You know, because you're dealing with kind of like the spiritual essence, the higher power that is tapped into kind of collective consciousness and all that is and, and that greater sort of power. My personal belief is whatever anyone believes in as a higher power, whether it's God or spirit or the universe or Buddha or I don't know all the other deities in the world. You get the idea. Yes. So whatever it is that you believe in, that energy, that being is in all of God's creatures or whoever's creatures you want to call God. Right. Um, I'm I'm not a stickler for any, you know, this is non-denominational, this work, but it kind of goes through like all of the beings in the world have part of that higher being. I, I truly believe, like, if you believe in God, God comes through the animals. I've had people go, that's the work of the devil. And I'm thinking, what devil ever made puppies and kittens and yeah. cute little horses that, that heal people? And I mean, you know, it's not like it's not the exorcist, you know, when you're dealing like these are the sweetest beings that are the most healing beings on the face of this earth, yeah. you know, but you even can connect even with like flora and fauna and plants and minerals and all of that. It goes right down all of nature, basically. That leads into the question I was going to ask you next, is if you communicated or if you've ever communicated with reptiles, fish or insects, and what is that like? Yeah, I have. I've communicated with all of the above and and more. You know what? It's not really any different. Like, I believe that all beings have a soul. And I remember one day when I lived in Toronto, a new client of mine had called me up and wanted me to come to her house. I don't do that that often because it it wastes half the day. You know what I mean? Like I could see more clients if I wasn't driving, especially when you're in a big city, you know, where you're driving from. It could take you an hour to get anywhere or more. But I was going to see her in person because she really wanted me to see her in person because her iguana was losing parts of himself. Like things were, his tail fell off and different parts were kept falling off of him. And I don't know if that's that unusual for a reptile, but I'm no, I'm no expert. But it's funny because I was having lunch with a friend of mine before I went to this appointment. And he is a real reptile person. And, you know, I was telling him I was going to go see an iguana. And I told him how old the iguana was because the client had told me. I said, I'm going to see, you know, whatever I said, a seven-year-old iguana or whatever. And he goes, you do realize that iguana is going to be six feet long, right? And oh. I'm like, no. <laughs> I did not, but thank you for telling me that. You know, it was no different. And it's been so long ago now that I can't remember all the details, but she also had a tortoise that was very old and she had really unique pets. Let's say, I don't, I prefer the word animal companion or animal friend to pets because pets kind of denotes that we own them. And I think of them as their own little souls, but yeah. So I communicated with that reptile a couple of times and then One day when I, I, so I live in Arizona and I was taking an art class when I first moved here in Sedona and my art teacher had fish and all of a sudden her fish were, I wasn't there to talk to her fish. I was there to take the art class. I was just myself and her most of the time. I was taking private lessons with her and just learning how to do art with colored pencils and stuff. I'd never really been that artsy and, um, her fish started reaching out to me and I actually wrote an article about it that was on my old website. It was called sick fish and other something or others. I forget, but her fish actually let me know that they weren't well. And I told her and she ended up going to the place where they sell aquarium supplies and talking to them and getting some, I guess some kind of medicine to put in their water or whatever. 
And then what was the other one? You said insects. Yeah. Yes. So I've, I've talked a lot with insects. I mean, most people are kind of like grossed out by insects, but insects can share really amazing wisdom with us. I remember when I first got into this at my house in Toronto, it was like a 1940s post-war bungalow with all the gumwood trim and leaded glass and all that kind of stuff. And I had been in there maybe, I don't know, I want to say maybe a year. I can't remember. I hadn't been in there that long. And I kept finding these huge centipedes that were just, I don't know why, but they were horrifying to me. Mm, and I remember yeah. one day I was going for a run and I grabbed my running shoes out of the closet and I went to put my foot in the running shoe and out runs a centipede that was like three inches long oh. or something. And it just like, I mean, I don't know why, but I was terrified. So then I decided I better start talking to them as I took this training. And I had a whole conversation with them. And they had told me that they were there to help me develop my psychic intuitive abilities and all kinds of stuff that went on with them. And after I had gotten what they came to teach me, I never even saw them again. You know, I didn't do any chemicals or extermination or anything like that because I'm not for any of that kind of thing. I don't, I just, you know, I've spoken to spiders. I had a whole big conversation with a fly that landed on me. I was at a, um, <laughs> Actually, do you know Lily? Do you know Lilydale in up? It's not really upstate. I call it upstate New York, but I don't think it really yeah, is. Yeah, it's not far from me. Actually, it's a couple hours from me. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've been going to because Toronto is only about three hours from Lilydale. So I I've been going to Lilydale since probably my thirties, and I, I've actually even taught at Lilydale a couple of years back, maybe five years ago, maybe I can't remember. But I was at Lilydale years ago when I had first gotten into this work. And this fly landed on me when I was walking back to the guest house I was staying at. And I sat down on the stairs because it was still on me. And we had this big, long, ongoing conversation. And short of bringing it into the house with me, which I don't think they would have been too thrilled with, it was an amazing interaction. And I had read, um, there's a book that was written way back, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I want to say in the 50s, maybe, or so. And um, it was all about this guy's, was it all creatures, great and small? I can't remember, but it was about this guy. And I had read the book, and it was all about this guy's interaction. And I can't remember if it was with a fly or another bug. But anyways, after that, I had this deep interaction with a fly. And I can't say I'm always 100%. Mosquitoes aren't my favorite. No matter how much I talk to them, and there's a lot of them in New York at certain times of year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got eaten alive once at Lilydale by them. And I mean, they would they would not leave me alone no matter what I did. It was just one particular summer that was so rainy, and we were right on the lake and everything. But, yeah, so I have had some really amazing connections with all forms of life. Well, that changes the way I feel about but Now it doesn't change the way I feel about spiders. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I'm arachnophobic. If they're coming at me, they're not going to make it. <laughs> you know what? You know what I would suggest for anybody who's afraid of spiders? I'm a big fan of the work of the late Ted Andrews. He wrote the book Animal Animals Speak, and then he wrote Animal Wise. He, he's written probably, I want to guess, 30 or 40 books. Sadly, he crossed over fairly prematurely a number of years ago but if you read what he says about what spider means spider energy spider medicine spider as a totem whatever you want to spider you know energy is however you want to call it it's pretty amazing and he has a card deck called the animal wise tarot so he chose for the spider card i forget what card he chose for spider but he made the spider one of his major arcana cards which are the more powerful most impact in the tarot and it's sort of like the suit cards in playing cards just to kind of give you know versus the threes and fours kind of thing but spider is all about weaving of fate the spider's body is like a figure eight and the figure eight is like the infinity symbol. And the spider is all about awakening your psychic intuitive gifts and helping you to weave your own fate. And the other thing that's really interesting about spiders is the webs that spiders weave. First of all, it's all about creativity and creation and opening up your artistic talents in whatever you know genre like brain surgery could be an art as well right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean you have to paint or sculpt or whatever but it's all about awakening to your creativity even further and when you think about it to be able to be sitting somewhere and I don't know somehow throw a web out however they do that and attach it to something else and crawl along it 
But what's really cool about it is that web that spiders weave is the strongest matter on earth. They're pretty powerful. They can really create their very wonderful beings much more than we give them credit for. I mean, yes, I'm not crazy about getting bitten by a brown recluse spider or something, but right. <laughs> I've, I've had plenty of experiences with tarantulas living in the desert. And tarantulas are wonderful beings, and they don't really bother you. And if your dog chases them, they might jump up and land on your dog's nose or something. But um, that's just their defense. But tarantulas don't bite you. I had kind of one nasty spider bite when I was staying at a hotel in Tucson one time. But for the most part, you know, I live with all these prickly, scratchy, you know, they always say in the desert, everything either bites you, pricks you, or I forget what the third one but <laughs> pricks you, bites you, or stings you, everything. That's right. just how the desert is kind of thing. I've lived here all this time and I really haven't had any problem, you know, with any of that, but there's a lot more to them than the average person gives them credit for. I know a lot of people that have the same fear for some reason. It's with the spiders. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting to me too, mm -hmm. because I know they're a feminine energy. Mm -hmm. They're a really cool totem or spirit animal to have. But that actually would lead me into animals. They're wonderful and they share love and healing. But do they suffer with the same conditions as humans, such as like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, anything like that? You know, I mean, I'm certainly not a veterinarian, so, you know, I can't speak to the actual medical side of it. But I will tell you that I have worked with some animals that appeared to have, like even in communication with them, appeared to have a really serious, maybe it's a brain imbalance one of my clients years and years ago had a Rottweiler that they loved to death. And this Rottweiler loved the family to death. But a couple of times she snapped and attacked the woman of the home. And there was children there too. Attacked the woman of the home, and I mean, really badly. And literally put her in the hospital one time. And as soon as it was over, the dog would be mortified that she did it. And, you know, they worked with me a lot and had sessions for her and we communicated and the dog really, they knew the dog didn't want to do it, but something would come over her. And I can't tell you what it was. And I'm sure a veterinarian could explain what it was, maybe in scientific terms. But she was committed to keeping this dog because they loved her so much, despite all this. And they only walked her with a muzzle on and on a really tight leash. They were basically aware that they had a deadly weapon on their hands. And I had spoken to this dog a lot. And one day her husband was walking the dog on a street, I guess a busy street, and right when a car was coming, somehow the dog broke out of the leash and the muzzle, got loose, which was almost unbelievable to them because it was the least likely dog to get loose because they knew if she got loose, she'd possibly do some damage. Right. She'd never bitten anybody else. The dog ran right in front of a car and was killed. Oh, no. And when we connected with the dog, you know, I work a lot with animals on the other side. I don't see dead people. I talk to dead animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I see them too. I'm just joking. But, but, you know, that dog was like, she wanted to free herself from that body. Like her soul and her spirit said that body had flaws that she needed to free herself from. I've had animals tell me some interesting things. You know, I can't say if they have those kinds of disorders. I can tell you my sweet, sweet Maltese Carly, who passed away on December 20th of last year, coming up to a year ago now, she left on the solstice, which is uh, dogs almost often do pick auspicious times or where there's portals and openings for them to leave. But she had had a series of unfortunate things happen. She had very, very bad skin allergies that I had worked for years with traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture for a couple of years. I did homeopathy for a couple of years. I'm talking up to 10 or 15 remedies a day. You know, I had a timer on and it was like I needed a computer program just to handle my dog's homeopathy. I did everything I could do for that dog, everything holistically possible, energy work, everything. And her issue was still bad. And one day the vet gave her a shot, which was a new drug, and she had an issue with it. And then she became diabetic. She first got really sick and almost died, and then she became diabetic. And then the diabetes leads to all kinds of other problems, which eventually she ended up with dementia. One day she had a severe panic attack at night. It was when I was going to bed, she was just freaking out and panicking and it took me a couple minutes to sort of 
realize what was going on because she was acting the same way she had acted sort of when she had pancreatitis. But I could tell she wasn't in pain because of some of the things she was doing. She wouldn't have done that if she was in a lot of pain. But she ended up with dementia, sort of like a, they call it um, canine cognitive dysfunction. So dogs get that, which is, I guess, a form of dementia. And they get sundowners because it was right at this time of year where the sun goes down really early. Yeah. And I don't know if sundowners and people is worse at this time of year, but it started to get to the point where like right about this time of day for me, which is, I don't know, somewhere, I don't have my clock in front of me, but later in the afternoon before the sun was down, her body could already tell the sun was going down and she'd start to get into this panic. She just had, it was unbearable panic. So I'm assuming from everything animals have told me, everything I've witnessed with animals and that they showed me, I believe they can. Just like some people can have ADHD, I think dogs can have something like that. It may not be called ADHD. Right. So if you're a vet and you're listening, I'm sorry for offending. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying, I always like to qualify. Like, I don't think this ever is a substitute for veterinary care. It's a great add-on. And I have, I've had tons of clients over the years who are veterinarians. I had one veterinarian client who had his wife phone me for their show dog because their dog wasn't winning. She just needed one more point and they were going to retire her or whatever they were going to do with her. And she had some stuff to share with them in the next show. She went and finished up her championship. I've had almost any scenario you can think of. I've had a racehorse that could run faster than any other horse, but wouldn't run fast in the race and lost by many lengths. And after one connection with him and talking to him and, under really listening to what his needs were and expressing them to the people who then expressed them to the jockey and did certain, you know, asked the jockey to do certain things. The horse won by like three lengths. Wow. We already knew the horse could run fast enough to win. The problem was he never did in the race. He, he got so nervous in the starting gate that he used up all his energy and had nothing for the race. And we just altering a few little tiny things. And I, hopefully not everyone with a racehorse who's not winning is going to call me now. Right. <laughs> but once I fixed a cat that was urinating inappropriately and they put it in the Toronto star, which is the big newspaper in Toronto. And it was picked up by Canada press, Canadian press. I forget which it's called. And it went all across to all the papers all across the country. And Everybody who had a cat that peed inappropriately called me. Oh, a lot of, <laughs> lot of people. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I believe that just like humans, sometimes we may not have a mental illness, but we have something that's bothering us and just talking it out can help. And very often just listening to what the animals have to say and, and letting them be heard and understood is enough. They don't hold on to things the way humans do. We've all met people who may have something wrong with them. And in some cases, if they could make it better, they don't want to because they like whatever the payoff is for them having that problem. Right. Whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual, you know, there's that thing. So animals, they tend to release things a lot easier and quicker than humans do. Now, do they reincarnate? And if they do, do they come back to the same owner? Has there been instances of that that you know of? More than you could ever imagine. And they 100% do. I have an interesting story if you have time to hear it. Oh, about one of my, I, I worked with one client so long that I worked with her animal friend when he was in the physical plane. And then, well, he crossed over. And when he came back, I've been in this business a long time. So I've done, you know, generations now. But what I want to say is just like humans, they have lessons to learn. They have soul agreements that are made prior to them coming into physical bodies. And it's not like my dog, Jiggs, who got me into this and who was a key player in my family. Basically, I think of him as like blood with me. And when he crossed over, he let me know he wasn't going to be coming back, but he is kind of orchestrating and helping all my students from the spiritual plane. And he said he was needed there at this point. So some beings ascend to ascended masters, if you will. I call my Andalusian stallion guide an ascended master of the equine realm. I don't call Jiggs an ascended master, but he's he doesn't really need that name. He's kind of chuckling almost <laughs> as I say that. But but it's like he's a master in his own way. But he's more of a kind of a jokester kind of being, but he, he helps on a very deep level with people. So some animals come back to us 
and are there for a little bit. They're kind of in and out of another being. And some animals come back to us and they're with us for a whole lifetime. And some animals don't come back and stay, you know, in the spirit realm like jigs. So it's all based on soul agreements and the divine plan and all of that. But I'll tell you about this one client and she has allowed me to share her story. And her name is Diane and she has an obedience clinic, like an obedience training. She did everything, fly ball, freestyle, obedience, whatever you can do with dogs, she did it. And she she was like an amazing dog guardian. <laughs> and she had this uh, little dog that was, I want to say it was a Pomeranian. I'm, I'm, it's been so long. And the dog reincarnated into a Pomeranian. So I'm sure it was a Pomeranian. This dog was actually in a movie with Faye Dunaway. And they had a problem with this dog because he kept upstaging the actor. <laughs> it was like, but anyways, eventually she was in um, a thing called Super Dogs where they perform. And she had to go, I think, to Nova Scotia or somewhere out east in Canada. And um, she had to leave him with her mom. While she was gone, he passed. Oh. It was a series of events. And she was, you know, in touch. It wasn't all sudden. It happened over hours. And she was part of the whole thing from afar. So she called me and, of course, we connected in with him. So we were in contact with him and she emailed me one day and she said, I think I found him. And what she had done was they were going to perform in Florida. And she had looked at some breeders in Florida because she knew she would be in Florida during a certain period of time for a week or something. And she looked at the ages of the puppies and knew that these puppies would probably be ready to go around the time she was going to be there. And she said, I think I found him. And she sent me the whole lineup of all the puppies in a row in a photo. She just said, I think he might be in this group. And she said, what do you think? And I looked at the lineup of puppies and it was like, I swear to God, it was the one second from the left on the, you know, second in from the left. And it was like a spotlight just shone on this puppy. And she had taken all my training. She had actually hosted some trainings for me at her clinic. And and a bunch of her dog friends had come and stuff. So she didn't even tell me which one she thought it was. And she, as soon as I went second from the left, she's like, yes. <laughs> so it was a girl instead of a boy. And she named the puppy Ariel. And sure enough, it was the reincarnation of him. And I wish I could remember his first name. But she wrote a whole story for me with all the details because I'm kind of giving you the details from my memory and I mean, we're talking understandably many 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 years ago yeah. so I could be wrong on some of my details but I mean I'm not wrong on the basic gist of the story right and that was pretty incredible to be honest with you I don't even know if Ariel is still on this plane because it's been that long you know I had been with her for so many years that I went through the, <laughs> the lifetime the passing the being in spirit and the rebirth and, yeah. and I mean, you know, and, and all of that was like, I mean, that was, be, well, actually I left Toronto in 2002. So, I mean, it, it's, it would be a slim chance that um, Ariel would still be alive because Ariel would have been born well before 2002. So right. unless Ariel is some kind of <laughs> in the book of world records, probably no longer <laughs> on this plane, but maybe had reincarnated again as another being, you know, right. <laughs> I've had some really, really unbelievable different things happen over the years that are just many of which are in my book. I I just tried to pick some stories that stood out that would give people a lot of different examples of situations that have happened with dogs, cats, horses, rabbits, donkeys. Let me think what else I have in there. I think that might be it. But not that something that happens with a horse in this work couldn't happen with a cat or a dog and, you know, right. vice versa. But I tried to include many different and oh, and then there's a, a, a whole thread about hawks in my book, too. So it's kind of neat. You see how all beings interact and teach us and communicate with us and heal us and all of that, which is so amazing. That's a beautiful thing. You actually teach and I know you've spoken about that throughout our conversation but can you explain more about what you offer yes I offer a lot of different trainings and have for many years but my sort of flagship training or my one that I think is probably one of the most popular is called the animal energy certification training program and that is a program that is people come into for up to two years I mean The fastest I think anyone has ever done it is about six months. 
but you know, we give people two years and we even give extensions if they need it. And that is, it's like, it's a training that is so well-rounded. So you learn everything you need to learn about animal communication, energy healing, and all the spiritual prep work and principles and things that you need to do within yourself to be able to do this work because just telling people how to do it isn't enough they have to get into the practice so it comes with some personalized readings of your energy so you have a sense of how to approach the training it comes with all of the training that you have access to but we also have two live calls a month and then you have access to an archive of I think 140 or something live calls that have already gone before you And what's really great about it is I think of it as spiritual growth, personal development, and really going through a process that brings you out the other side different and more connected to animals and all of life. And everyone is going to have a different experience because we're all different souls that come into this world. So in that program, the introduction to that program is that free webinar that I mentioned at the beginning, which can be found at animalenergycertification.com. Animal Energy, by the way, is my trademark brand. It's been trademarked for 20 years now. So animalenergycertification.com, that introduces the program and also gives people a coupon code for 60% off, I think, of oh, the training. Wow, that's great. It's, it's very reasonable for two years of training. I've had people say, oh my gosh, why is this so cheap after they've yeah. taken it? Yeah, I mean, because if you it, take it's a, individual classes, yeah. that really adds up. And, and to be able to have an all-encompassing yeah. training instead of having to go from class to yeah. class and place to place. Now, this yeah. this can be all done online. Yes. Oh, yeah. I have people all over the world. I have people, many in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe, South America. I, I mean, I just, I can't even tell you. United Arab Emirates, of course, Canada and the U.S. and Mexico and all that. But people literally all over the world are in this training. So, I mean, there's been people sign up with countries. I didn't even know were countries. Is that a country? Uh, yeah. Google, um, here but, I come. <laughs> yeah. So it's wonderful, but yet, and we, we all, we meet twice a month. We meet, you know, everyone's in different time zones. So I make the calls at different times and um, you don't even have to be on the calls. You can ask your questions and I'll answer them on the calls. And we have a platform where we can interact with each other during the in-between times and an amazing supportive group. It's like spiritual family for the people who come into this program and everybody's of like mind. And it's such a wonderful scenario. So I have that. I mean, I teach, I have a clairvoyance mastery training program. I have a psychic development mentoring training program. And that, I want to be clear, that animal energy training is as much about healing as it is about communication. So students learn a whole healing system that can be used to heal the animals as well as heal themselves. It's a self-healing modality as well. They could actually go through this one training and start a full-time business for either humans or animals with what they have. There's nothing else required unless they want to learn more, but they have everything they need to do that with. So, and then I have the free training. I have the free training on my lynnmckenzie.com. The upper right tab has a free training link there. I put lots of stuff on Facebook on under Animal Alchemy. Wonderful. And I'm going to have that all listed in the episode description. So if anybody yeah. wants to click on that link, it's available to you. It's easy to find. That's great. The Animal Alchemy one, I think there's somebody else who has that name. Mine has about 70,000 or more followers on that page. So you'll know if you see two of them, mine's the one with the huge, the other person had very little following. I think they're, because I think I saw one there once. I don't know if they're still there or not. I think it's so wonderful, the services that you offer. And I think more importantly, the fact that you're teaching healing, because that is what we need the most right now are healers. So many humans and animals need healing in these times. And uh, that's such a great thing. Before we go, what is the most common message you've received from animals? Just before I say that, I just want to say that it's through learning the healing and doing it that we awaken to the communication side of it. That's my biggest thing. I would say the biggest message from animals is really about love and acceptance of ourselves and surrender to where we are at. That doesn't mean, you know, give up on all your goals, but be in a place of acceptance. Animals don't think of things the way humans do. 
to them, life, death, and the rebirth process is very natural to them. So one of the big lessons is about the circle of life and understanding the naturalness of it, even though it's painful for us at times, and really about unconditional love. It's about learning to love as unconditionally as a human is, <laughs> you know, yeah. ourselves and others, yeah. you know, as much as humanly possible. I think the animals certainly have us beat in that department, but they really encourage that within us. And that's really it. They're very simple. They're not so complex as humans. They don't add all the stories and all the stuff to situations. They're in acceptance and surrender a lot more. And if we could do that, especially with our own selves, start with ourselves, the world would be a lot better place, you know? I agree. There's beauty and simplicity. I just want to thank you for being here today and for speaking to everyone, especially since the holidays are coming up. So I do want to wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to my listeners the same. And uh, thanks again, Lynn, for being yes. on the show and hope to talk to you again soon. Yes, it was my pleasure. And I want to wish you and all of your listeners a happy holidays. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, Beck. To the Spirit Podcast. Supernatural Society. In the I'm ghost. Psychic. Mystic. Spirit. Divine Source. Heaven. The dead. It's magic, magic.